0: President Biden gave a speech to the U.N. General Assembly yesterday that overflowed with promises of global cooperation and rang the bell on everything from climate change to global equity, universal labor, environmental standards, etc. He promised a build back better world. Uh, At every turn, he pointed to government action, whether national or international, as the means for solving every problem he identified. Hmm. Let's talk about that. That's what we'll do today on this edition of the Independent Outlook. Welcome everybody, I'm Graham Walker, coming to you today from the offices of the Independent Institute here in Oakland, California. We are right across the bay from San Francisco, and our goal uh, on this set of conversations is to bring you multifaceted perspectives on the issues of the day from an independent outlook that you are not likely to hear elsewhere. And of course, I'm joined by my colleagues today David Thoreau and Bill Evers. Welcome to David Thoreau. He's the founder and president of the Independent Institute. Glad you're here, David.
1: Thank you. Great to be here.
0: Pleasure to see you also. Williamson Evers, Bill Evers, who is the director of our Center on Educational Excellence and also a general knowledgeable person about pretty much everything. He's a polymath. Yeah, Bill, Bill Evers is a polymath. Welcome, Bill. Thank you. Glad to see both of your smiling faces. Um, And of course, we also welcome all those who are joining us today via uh, streaming on YouTube, Vimeo, Facebook. And there are those who are joining us on those platforms coming over from ThinkSpot.com. We welcome them too. So uh, getting started on this conversation, it's not like I want to fix it on President Biden, but I couldn't help but be struck by the things he said and the things he kind of tried to avoid saying. Well, here's, here's a couple things he said, gentlemen. Um, I'm re- reading literally from the White House uh, website's printout of the speech. He says here, I stand here today for the first time in 20 years with the United States, not at war. We've turned the page. He literally said that at the UN yesterday. We've turned the page. And he also said, um, as we close this period of relentless war, we're opening a new area of relentless diplomacy. And he said, I have prioritized rebuilding our alliances and revitalizing our partnerships. (laughs) So um, what do you think about that? Has he in fact prioritized revitalizing our alliances and our partnerships uh, as he said?
1: I would suggest that he's done a uh, almost peerless job of doing the opposite. He's alienated most of America's allies Uh, He's made a fool of himself. Uh, He's made a fool of the United States. Uh, I mean, you name the issue globally or domestically. And the hypocrisy of his talk, it doesn't even come up to the standards of hypocrisy. Uh, In many respects, his talk was platitudes uh, that rang hollow, Here, the debacle in Afghanistan, and he's talking about being a world leader. Uh, In the aftermath of the withdrawal, as withdrawal was being completed, they had this drone strike that they claimed killed operatives with bombs from ISIS-K. It turns out it was an aid worker who works for a nonprofit aid group in the United States that was killed, who was laid uh, loading water bottles in his Toyota. Mm. And it was a total of 11 people killed, seven children. And they never had any evidence that this guy had explosives. And the so-called over-the-horizon attack shows how feeble these kinds of attacks can be. And this is not the first time that drone strikes have done this. Clinton did the same thing and others. But the sort of wag the dog effort to show resolve just showed incompetence and a lack of common decency and respect for checking the facts. Mm -hmm. So, and of course, this is just one of many aspects of all this. Um, This push for global climate central planning is completely unnecessary. Uh, This is our book on the subject of climate change, hot talk, cold science. It's a peer reviewed book endorsed by dozens of scientists from around the world, which basically goes through the the science of the issue of climate change and shows that the alarmism is unfounded. And the policies that are being built on this this alarmism uh, essentially are by people who may be well-intentioned or are looking for Uh, essentially rent-seeking opportunities to enrich themselves. Uh, This $3.5 trillion bill, which is actually more like a $5 to $10 trillion bill, is basically the Green New Deal. And it would be such a gigantic uh, burden to the middle class and the poor, exactly the people that the Biden crowd uh, is claiming to help, And this doesn't include the taxes they're talking about.
0: You know, we want to dig into that a little bit, but I have to pause here for a second, David, because what you're saying um, just drives home to me the importance of this one particular thing that President Biden said yesterday, which was, he said, um, yeah, we're opening a new era of using the power of our development aid uh, and of proving that no matter how challenging or how complex the problems we're going to face, government buy and for the people is still the best way to deliver for all of our people. Now, it's a kind of subtle thing because he did say buy and for the people. In other words, if government's going to do something, yeah, I'd rather have it be government buy and for the people. But the larger point he was making that in every complex problem that we're facing, government is still the best way to deliver for all our people. Uh, And thus, your comments about climate change and the Green New Deal, et cetera, et cetera. At every point in his speech, he pointed to government action, whether national or international governments, as in fact the solution to delivering, as he put it, for all of our people. It seems to be a reflex for President Biden and many of those with whom he uh, works politically that government action is automatically the fallback position. And if a little government doesn't work, let's try a lot.
1: Well, part of the fallacy is also the view that central planning governments and bureaucracies are the people or reflect the people. They do not. The administrative state does not reflect the people. And if it did, you wouldn't have to have police powers to enforce the regulations. And the taxes don't reflect that. So it's it's this it's the progressive presumption that an elite will make decisions, for the people. Mm -hmm. And we know that uh, statism or central planning or big government, whatever you want to call it, is inherently incompetent because it doesn't have the information to process information for the complexity of a modern society. We know they're going to make a mistake. In other words, if you know what the price of something should be, you don't need to have the government impose it. And so, if the government wants to impose a price that's above the market or below the market, it's not the price that should be imposed. So, by definition, any any way you, you come at it, the government's mandates are going to create problems that are not the people. The people through market transactions... The, Which is the, to say voluntary transactions. Voluntary transactions. the, the, the uh, So complex and... Gazillions of con- of transactions that people do every day across the country um, is the people making choices. And if the government steps in to say, no, you can't do that. Instead, you're going to have to do X. By definition, it's not the people.
0: Bill, I'd like to have you comment on this one statement from President Biden. We'll stand up for our allies and friends.
2: So it's interesting. Uh, A lot of people have pointed out that France uh, was not happy with the U.S. submarine arrangement with Australia. I think they kind of miss a salient point here. Uh, You know, yes, there's some strange weirdness to him saying uh, rebuilding alliances and obviously uh, France is very upset and withdrawn envoys and so forth. But what's really going on here, and I think is the most important thing, is a shift from Euro Europe-centered diplomacy and military strategy to Pacific and East Asian mainland focus for diplomacy and military. So the U.S. is willing to you know kind of neglect France for a power that's close to China. Mm -hmm. And the thing that we should be careful about is in all our concerns about China, uh, that we don't accidentally fall into a war, that China's growing economy and its attempt to be a a regional power and a regional influencer, which I think is a natural thing, isn't confused with aggression that threatens the American people. And so we have to be very careful about that. The second thing that struck me, uh, going back to some of David's comments about the drone strike that killed the aid worker, is what Tucker Carlson, uh, Fox News host, said, which was that the the general that was briefing us on this emphasized that all regular and normal procedures and safeguards were performed in the strike. Hmm. And what a sort of self-indictment that is. And the the story in the New York Times today that went further into the uh, decision making pointed out this was not a hurried decision. They spent hours doing this, figuring this out, tracking it, double checking on and on and on. They still got everything wrong and killed lots of completely innocent people, including many children. It's not as if that, they're just
1: saying, we did our best. Not at that, Bill, but it was an attack in a residential yeah. crowded city right. area. Right. And uh, they claimed that at first they were claiming that there were two people killed. And then it came out about the whole group, including all the children who were standing around while this guy was loading his car, apparently. Um no, they, but
2: they, but the guy they claimed that there was a second house. He they claimed there was a house, and the children came out to greet him.
1: That's right. And they claimed there was a secondary explosion, which they said that verifies that he had explosions in the car. So reporters or whoever I forget who Zaki was went out to the scene. There is no evidence whatsoever of a secondary explosion. Correct. And so this is this is supposed to be the. Creme de la creme of the intelligence system. Ordered by the White House to do this strike. So well, why should we, we have, confi- have why un- should we have confidence yeah, exactly. in Biden? We have
2: unintelligent. Tell- and, hey, I don't think this is unique <laughs> no. to Biden. I mean, it's more war that takes out innocent lives. And uh, you know, I think capacity for this is present in
1: other administrations too. I'll yeah, say, definitely.
0: you know, Bill, could I come but the, back but to the, your? But comment? the
1: bigger, bigger point, Graham. Before, uh, sorry to interrupt. The bigger point, though, is no one is being held accountable. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, in the code of mili- the the uh, U.S. code of military justice, there are provisions for manslaughter and other crimes, but if the top people implement it. Apparently, this, was a, this, was approved
2: no, up, this was approved up the chain of command, not to right. the very highest level, but several
1: steps up. Right. And so apparently there's no culpability. So what kind of message, of course, does that tell people, including people living in Afghanistan or in any place in the world, about U.S. reliability, trustworthiness, mm-hmm. uh, morality, and so on? So Biden goes up to the U.N. to give this talk about how he's changing things for diplomacy in the aftermath of this, obviously, war crime.
2: I thought thought it was, it's pretty funny. Uh, So they're rejiggering our relations with Egypt in order to supposedly condition things on human rights. (laughs) So the day this was announced, uh, peop, journalists were put in jail for reporting on abuses committed against Coptic christians <laughs> so uh you know the egyptian government is promising all this stuff in line with the biden biden administration's uh foreign policy emphasis on human rights but they're just they're just you know putting the rhetoric out and continuing with their repression which is obviously subsidized by the american taxpayer
0: uh, you know, I want to come back to a comment that you made just a few minutes ago, Bill. If I may, uh, I was noting how President Biden had said, "We'll stand up for our allies and friends." Um, you observed a moment ago that there is a risk uh, in the sphere of of underplaying the legitimate aspirations, you know, of mainland China for influence in its part of the world, and of interpreting every attempt to strengthen their society as necessarily aggressive. I think right. that's a really interesting point. Uh, it would I be can't. as implausible to say that China shouldn't have special influence around itself as it would be to say the US should have no special influence in the Western Hemisphere. Right. So that's that's well taken, but at the same time, okay, now you have to respond to this probably, but at the same time, um, I can't help but think of the impact of what happened in Afghanistan, the calamitous and chaotic withdrawal and. You know, the drone strike just being part of that um, as clearly an evidence that we don't necessarily stand up for allies and friends. How that will look in Seoul, South Korea, how it will look in uh, Taipei, how it will look in Latvia, Lithuania and Estonia. Um, Does the precipitous U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan um, actually make it look more tempting uh, for other powers? In this case, China being one of them. Uh, to take advantage of U.S. weakness. If in fact, the U.S. president is now declaring that there will never be relentless war, but only relentless diplomacy. So the stakes are way down for any aggressors. I'm worried about that.
2: Well, I think I would look at it from a slightly different angle. Uh, The danger that is shown both the response to the withdrawal of the U.S. from Afghanistan and the stone strike is that the U.S., in order to counter perceptions that we are weak and retreating around the world, will do things to show resolve, to show that we're a potent power that a reflective great power would not do. Uh, that we will overextend with regard to Korea or Japan or Latvia, Lithuania and Estonia or whatever and become on hair trigger. Uh, There's serious things to bear in mind about that, how alliances entangle us in the activities of other countries. And I I wouldn't be as concerned about uh, the way you put it that, you know, some politician or bureaucrat in Taipei is going to be worried. Uh, they they should attend to their defenses, and that's you know more their job than ours.
0: Well taken. Well but taken. I, but, but I
1: think I think the bottom line again is uh, let's put it this way: Biden had the world's ear. At this address in the UN, not just the representatives right. of the different countries, right. but the world's media, and so on. Especially after the withdrawal from the really debacle uh, withdrawal from Afghanistan, uh, the uh, the crisis at the southern border is no trivial matter. The inflation that's building, the spending, the uh, essentially irresponsible decisions in almost every area. Um, you can't paper this over. And uh, I think what what we're seeing is Biden projected an arrogance that he that he believes will uh, excuse in some respects, um, using the right slogans and platitudes. Mm-hmm will excuse the behavior of things that he and his team uh, have been pursuing. He he said Uh, we have
0: turned the page. So, don't keep talking about that stuff, David. He's turned the page. He's turned the
1: page.
2: I don't know know if we've turned the page. I mean, in the African country of Guinea, the U.S. was training a bunch of military officers in a special program, you know, Right. where we uh, train officers and enlisted men in foreign countries and teach them lawful warfare and combat techniques and so forth. So in the middle of the night, the people drove away from the U.S. program and took over the country. You <laughs> so, mean having been trained by us first. Right. Yeah. And it was in the middle of the program. That's a kind of <laughs> a very uh, exciting escalation. We have had... People trained by the United States take over countries in the best, but usually not in the middle of their training. <laughs> but these are these these are, this approach. Uh, I don't know if that's an all diplomacy approach. <laughs> well, yeah.
1: Good point. This, this, this approach to foreign relations of, and it's not just training forces. It's massive aid of equipment and funding. It's propping up of regimes. It is also of covert activities. Uh, and so on. It has been going on for a hundred years or more. And uh, it is a a progressive neo-mercantilist view. It's not the view of the founders. It's not Jefferson's view Mm -hmm. or Adams' view and so on. And uh, so the the confusion that arises is that a market-based system, a capitalist nation, uh, as the U.S. is considered, um, cannot survive without interventionist policies around the world.
2: I think and also also it distorts it distorts our society and our constitutional order. I mean, we, we right. saw that yes in uh, General Milley's uh, phone call uh, towards the end of the Trump administration, two phone calls towards the end of the Trump administration to his counterparts in China. And, uh, you know, here we are in the midst of some kind of at least rhetorical uh, battle of words with China during the Trump administration, and and one that I might say is continuing under the uh, Biden administration. So, Miley takes upon it himself to call uh, these, you know, leaders, military leaders in China, without the knowledge of the secretary the acting Secretary of Defense at the time
0: I found uh, that despite
2: policy the f- stated policy that we were not to be having communications with Chinese counterparts that might be normal but were not that was forbidden at that time And so he's taking on himself because he thinks oh well uh, Trump might do something I, excuse me. Nobody elected General Milley. Nobody elected General Milley. The the Electoral College uh, chose President Trump for better or worse, and the constitutional system makes him the commander-in-chief and doesn't make General Milley entitled to make foreign policy and foreign military
0: policy. It unfortunately reminds me of the fact in 2016 when uh, Donald Trump was elected, there were plenty of people who said, not my
2: commander-in-chief,
0: not my yeah, president. Right. <laughs> and unfortunately, General Milley seemed to have taken that he, to
2: heart. Yeah. yeah, he did. Well, he is, he is fascinating, as ha- has been pointed out uh, by several commentators, that and all there's all a, a number of books about the Trump days and Trump years. And General Milley comes, seems to come off very well in all of them because he, obvious he or some friendly subordinate of his is obviously leaking like a sieve to all these journalists and historians. Well,
1: mm-hmm. part of the story uh, also uh, apparently is that other high-ranking military officials were aware of Milley's doing this.
2: Oh, no, there not, were fifteen. There were fifteen
1: people in the room. Exactly. So, that's not, right. Not, so not it that. was separate from the civilian overseeing. Apparently, there are of there, some
2: of them may some of them may have been civilians.
1: Yeah, the point it could is, be. but I think that he, was
2: the. He, it, a point is that this was not known to the Secretary of Defense. That's what not, my point. Yeah. Not the second one anyway, and it yes. was not approved, and it was against the existing policy to not have such communications with China.
1: Right. Now, we've also seen uh, all sorts of evidence of um, uh, hoaxes and fabrications right. uh, to bring Trump down. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if same, the impeachment, same time period, right? Right. If Trump can be impeached for a phone call, meanwhile, Biden does all this other stuff and there's no accountability for it, uh, it does raise serious questions. And uh, I think going back again to Biden's speech, it shows the the blatant hypocrisy and the folly that the Biden people believe that they're going to get away with it, that people will believe this narrative. Well,
2: some of this is
1: cracking, though. I agree. I think Uh, it is cracking.
2: You know, the, the, the debacle, the catastrophe of the incompetent, Retreat from Kabul has kind of cracked the patina. Mm-hmm. Then the ten thousand refugees. Could we see the bridge there? Yeah, the I bridge, mean the bridge over the river Kali. Yeah, President
0: Biden didn't want to mention this in his speech, but there's the right. sixteen thousand people. Right. El
2: Rio Bridge. All right now, there was a very funny thing in the comic site Babylon B. They they suggested that the Democrats. Use their infrastructure money to build more bridges. Oh, just like this picture, right? So that more <laughs> refugees could go under them. <laughs> <laughs> That's the
0: solution. Pretty infrastructure fun. solves the border crisis. Yeah,
2: there we go. It's in- intersectionality. <laughs> so anyway, uh, yeah, this is a very well weird Governor world Abbott. We live in. Governor well,
0: Abbott in Texas <clears throat> is not letting that, you know be ignored he's pretty much protesting on monday he said that uh president biden refuses to even pretend that there's a crisis yeah
1: uh, well well, they're they're not pretending i I wouldn't say they're pretending i would say that they're trying to they're ducking it um they're very uh, you know they're obviously aware of what's going on there uh as uh fox news uh for example was using drones to photograph The uh, area, uh, and suddenly uh, the FAA rules that no drones are allowed.
2: Right. The Biden administration tried to shut down freedom of the press. Right. That that irritated the press a little bit. But what's more irritating the press and cracking this patina is that he doesn't answer any questions at you know (laughs) the press conferences. Boris Johnson is there answering questions right and left. (laughs) Biden's handlers drown out Boris Johnson in order to shuffle President Biden out of the room so that he doesn't have to answer questions. This is irritating the
1: press. Well, I think that the the drone thing, because many other news outlets are using drones too, and the view that the FAA can silence them I mean they, it, it, this is over Del rio. I mean the, the the argument that there's some sort of aircraft problem suddenly uh, is preposterous. Very. And impossible. so they approached. so Fox protested, other people protested and it was reversed, but only because it was being shown on Fox News. And I so think it was humiliating, another... as humiliating Biden and again showing the hypocrisy, again getting back to his talk at the UN. Is it really only diplomacy or is it subterfuge, is it lying? Is it special interest politics? Uh, I mean, all of us, at least most of us, studied uh, big city corruption in the 1900s, 19th century, uh, Tammany Hall being the most notorious. But it's looking like uh, the Biden regime makes Tammany Hall look like a picnic. So, uh, because in getting back to the instance of the of uh, the killing of the children and the others in uh, in Kabul, uh, the uh, Pentagon has announced they're going to do reparations to the the families of the people, but then no one's going to take accountability responsibility for it. So it's just it's just a shocking, again arrogance. And uh, insensitivity. So why should people trust them? It really so is amazing. We,
2: could we have the picture back of the of the bridge? And the people? <laughs> yes,
1: I'll, I'll bring you your picture back. It's Thank a you. pretty
0: stunning picture.
2: So uh, I've noticed hashtag Bidenville. So some students of history remember that during the Great Depression, yeah, during the Great Depression, the Democratic Party's propaganda machine had the very clever idea of calling encampments of the unemployed Hoovervilles. And some various uh, WAGs around the country are now calling these refugee encampments Bidenvilles. That may be a very devastating uh, tag over time. That
1: could be tough. And the, and the, the most amazing part of this whole thing is that these problems can be solved it's like the the governor
2: abbott as you said governor abbott is trying to do something about it it's interesting that before the chinese exclusion act was uh taken up by the u.s supreme court states generally took care of immigration issues and there's nothing you know there's nothing you know that that was the, so seen to be their constitutional role at that time.
0: Yeah, he he has lined up apparently hundreds of Department of Public Safety, Texas Department of Public Safety vehicles along right. that portion of the border. And apparently it actually has been pretty effective at deterring people. At from A com-
2: steel barrier, that's it's right. It's a steel
0: barrier, yeah, movable, but it's a steel barrier erected by the, the governor of Texas. You know, we're we want to be constitutionally sensitive, and certainly the Constitution vests the president with international matters, but you know, with it, there's security, nothing yeah.
2: about immigration in the Constitution, and Je- both Jefferson and Madison said, "Don't presume that because something is going on in another country, that the founders, in writing the Constitution, meant to have it in the U.S." There are plenty of things in other countries that go on; the governments do that we did not give power to the central government to do. Right. And, you know, before the Chinese Exclusion Act, immigration was a state-level issue. And this is sort of forgotten. The, the argument of the Supreme Court was is it's intrinsic in sovereignty that the federal government should be in charge of immigration. Well, what, what about what Jefferson and Madison said? Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe they knew more than the Supreme Court at the time of the Chinese And moreover,
0: the the logic of the U.S. constitutional system is that there are powers enumerated to be exercised by the central power, but those right. that are not enumerated exactly. are retained by the
2: states or the people, respectively, per the right. 10th right. Amendment. Well, the Supreme Court just ignored that in the case of immigration.
1: Yeah. But, but I think we should be clear about the issue of immigration as it is. The issue of immigration is not the issue of individuals migrating freely through people's property with their consent, taking jobs in a market, buying homes, paying for education. What we have here is the federal government massively subsidizing it and essentially encouraging people to abuse and trample on private property.
2: All I'm really doing here and is so, defending, defending Governor Abbott. Right, and saying, I understand. But I'm it's just trying not to so make, strange
1: for him to be doing something. Here. That's right. So it. But anyway, I'm just saying how far is it's gone. Right. Exactly. From the the notion of people being uh, migrating freely with the consent of others, cooperating in the process. So we essentially have, uh, like many other progressive positions, the view that that the federal government should step in and centrally plan migration and subsidize it. I mean, it's the same point about uh, the Afghans who are flown uh, by government expense to the United States and are sent up by bus at government expense all over the country. And the same thing is now true uh, in this Del Rio area. First, the, um, I'm, I guess I'm to
2: I'm, I'm gonna dissent from you here and say, there's a difference between, let's say, a vetted person from Afghanistan Mm -hmm. who helped the United States, was maybe a United States employee in Afghanistan, Mm -hmm. and rescuing that person and treating that person as a welcome refugee. And as opposed to people pouring in at the instigation of the Biden administration, I think they're, they're different and they need to be addressed differently and thought of
1: differently. But I don't see the evidence that that's what happened from Afghanistan.
0: You don't see the vetting occurring, you mean? No. Uh, well, that would be the key part, wouldn't it?
1: And, and, and in addition, um, uh, I think that the, uh, the problem that we're facing here is clearly the Democrats want to increase the number of people from other countries as big as possible because they believe that whiteness uh, is, is toxic is, somehow. Is yeah. toxic, and they want to create a permanent situation politically that they can't be defeated. They were so upset. It's, about... It's
2: possible that Afghan refugees might not
1: vote for Biden and yeah. his ilk. Exactly. And it's true that Hispanic immigrants, and we've already seen that again. Oh,
2: that's definitely shifting. We right. we right. saw it a further shift in the Newsom recall.
1: Yeah, I'm where not
2: saying... he he had fewer Latino supporters than Biden did in California, and yeah. that Newsom had in previous I'm not election.
1: That... I'm not saying progressivism is true. I'm simply saying this is what they're trying to do.
2: Yeah, I think and you're right. That is something that's at least in the back, if not the foreground of their mind. Right, and, and so
1: they're, they're literally encouraging and, and the, the insensitivity to uh, these people who are migrating, spending their life savings. Now, the, the current group of Haitians are people who are from Brazil and from Chile and other places who left Haiti years ago and they've been told they have an opportunity now. So they're basically paying off the cartels to get them through the cartel controlled areas to the border and across the border. Uh, The number of women who are raped, the number of children who are then trafficked is astounding and shocking. Mm -hmm. And nothing is being done about that because I think when it gets down to it, the progressive vision is so uh, consuming Right, that they're willing to sacrifice doing the right thing mm-hmm. uh, for power. In the every harm case, harm is worth it. They might right. say, "Harm is worth it."
0: And but but it's so paradoxical because the harm is is done under the umbrella of or the label of compassion. Uh, so typically, it's because the idea of open borders. Oh well, we people have needs and we should let them in, and they have a right to be here. It sounds compassionate, but what it creates is a powerful incentive to draw people away from places where they could keep themselves safe, to expose themselves and their children to massive predation and victimization on the way to North, into America, um, and then to amass in very squalid and dangerous conditions on the border. The open borders invitation is like, you know, it's beckoning, come on. And when you say, come on, then you create an incentive for all sorts
1: of abuse, even well, though think, that was not the motivation. So think of it this way, if you have a house And the word gets out by your neighbors that anyone can go on the property, enter the house and stay there, and you're going to pay for their food and their shelter and their education. You're going to have... A lot of visitors. A lot of visitors, right? You're going to have an invasion, right? Well, it's interesting to see
2: how things like compassion and so forth can be... Uh, they can take on a life of their own. I mean, take, mm-hmm. take the co- concept of equality, which is certainly something that's expanded in its notions over the years. And now we look at the, uh, military spending bill and it's going to, uh, have women signing up for the draft. So, you know, they're compelled, met, met, compelled to sign compelled up. for the sign up. Right. right. That's right. They're going to be compelled. Yep. And it will pay for the administrative aspects of that. And it's sort of strange that uh, a fairly momentous decision like this is not, instead of being buried in a military spending bill, is not being debated on its own. Mm-hmm. And it, it seems to me, you know, we we think of a free society best being uh, defended by volunteers and You know, if they're going to be women that are participating in the military, they should be volunteers and the same as the men. And so instead of lauding this as a, by the way, it's not just Democrats and progressives who are favoring this. Conservatives are going along with it. It's it's supposed to be a great
0: advance for equality. It's a great advance for coercion.
2: It's a great advance for compulsion. That's right. And and it's a, a loss to a free society. And it's like saying, you know, it's just, I don't know. So so let's say we are back in ancient Sparta and the helots, those are the state slaves of ancient Sparta, are only men. And this is hypothetical because they were both men and women. And some brilliant reformer comes up with the idea, oh, that's not fair, we should have women helots too. I mean, you know, Really, it's not an advantage to the women to become uh, involved in involuntary servitude of some sort. Yeah,
1: well, the, the, the fallacy is the view of equal outcomes as opposed to equal yeah. rights, right, opportunity, and in right. yeah. equal liberty. Mm-hmm. So, if, if if the goal is that e- equality means equal outcomes, there is no end to it. So. Right. Uh, people of different heights and different ages mm-hmm. and different born background. in different places. Right. it's a fight against nature. It's a it's a it's a, it's it's a, it's a revolt a, against nature. That's it's right. a revolt against nature. That's right, and everybody loses
2: because mm-hmm. really everybody's different. Yep, and they should have their rights, and they should not be bended and forced and herded into uh, some set pattern that the government bureaucrats and politicians are
0: prefer. I'd like to spend a couple minutes talking about the other subject, which President Biden didn't really address on his turning the page thing, but David brought it up earlier, which is to say uh, the domestic economic consequences of this vast 3.5 trillion, or is it more? And just by way of uh, drawing people's attention, you can go to our website, independent.org, and there's this remarkably good essay just published by our senior fellow, John Goodman, on uh, Cradle to grave waste in the Democrats' three trillion spending plan, uh, recently published uh, in the Washington Examiner, and I think we have some other things on the topic. David, can you kind of give us an introduction? Why do you think it's more than three point five trillion?
1: Well, one reason is because um, the details of this are yet to be made public, uh, as far as the nitty gritty of what all this is about, and the fact that the, the Democrats are, are now pushing for a massive tax increase, which might be $3 trillion or more, I mean, you have to realize, first of all, the federal government is gigantic already. And uh, at the end of this month, on September 30th, they're going to have to uh, decide if there's going to be uh, an uh, expansion, essentially, of the debt limit, uh, because the, the federal government's going to ru- run out of money, as they say. And so uh, the debt continues to grow, and the Democrats are convinced that uh, they can essentially sort of uh, rework a, a society uh, by maneuvering people and their, their lives and their values and their assets into some sort of end state that will be more just. And the specifics of this are to increase taxes in every category, to restore the estate tax. Uh, the taxes are gonna be primarily, when I say primarily, I mean almost overwhelmingly borne by the middle class and the, and the, uh, the lower class. It's gonna especially affect minority groups that are in those categories. And uh, that's, uh, that's going to be just. So it's, uh, it's a mad grab because they want to try to rush all this stuff through before they get thrown out of office because they think that will lock them in. But just like Biden's speech, you've got to be a true believer and incredibly naive to believe what he said. And if anything, his speech actually pulled the rug out from under his own credibility, and so th- the progressives are pushing this gigantic spending spree, which is going to require uh, a, an enormous increase in money creation mm-hmm. uh, by the Fed, uh, and that's why they're and that's why they're also pushing for the tax increase. They don't know how they're going to fund it. There's no accountability. There's no fiscal sanity to it. It's power politics, and it's ideologically driven, partly, and it's interest group driven, just like the old adage of uh, every measure that passes has to have the so-called uh, Baptist bootlegger alliance, meaning mm-hmm. the true believer and the interest group. And that's essentially what we're seeing. The... Uh, the uh, the thing that's catching up with Biden and his group is that Biden's trustworthiness or credibility or approval rating continues to plummet. And mm-hmm. I would suggest there is no bottom to it because he doesn't have any following.
2: Right. He's, less than 0%. He's useful... Well, that's the bottom. Yeah.
1: ...to different groups, including mm-hmm. the blob and the swamp and whatever you want to call all these different, the administrative state, whatever you want to call these different groups and uh, the ones that feed off it. So, um, uh, it's very disturbing. By the way, if I could make one little anecdotal note here. Um, one of our senior fellows, who was one of the key people who wrote eloquently about this problem for years, passed away this past Friday. His name was Angelo Codavia. And he was one of the very few really top scholars uh, who understood uh, classical education and philosophy and political science, international affairs, and integrated an understanding of the nature of big government and collectivism into a rivalry between two different groups, one being a ruling elite, a ruling class, and a sole con- country class. And this over... Um, uh, essentially is consistent with the work of Robert Higgs, of Ludwig von Mises, of Frederick Bastiat, of Adam Smith, and many other writers over the years, that America's founders understood and tried to prevent the centralization of power ends up rewarding and giving uh, indiscriminate power to interest groups, that are unaccountable. And that and are centrally
0: so, well-connected.
1: Right. So, Angelo Villa passed away. It was in a car accident. He was actually down at Stanford on his way back. Uh, and it's a great loss, but mm. he will. his influence will continue. And ironically enough, uh, we published his last article mm. on Monday.
0: And I'm so glad we uh, published which it. Which
1: uh, first appeared uh, on Friday from American Greatness. Magazine. here's
2: a um... so so one thing I'd like to say uh, just as an addendum about Angelo Codavia who, who I knew and was clo- reasonably close to when he worked at the Hoover Institution when I was also there uh, is that although you know he certainly was cognizant of the economists that David mentioned, he was fundamentally a political theorist and yes. political philosopher yep. and so he draws a lot on that and uh, it's very enlightening and informative. I wanted to get on to two other thoughts. One was David's point about tax hikes, and, and that is the Biden people are going to mask who is paying, and even that there is going to be much of a tax hike if they can. Yes. And what one of the typical things is they're going to claim they're raising taxes on corporations. But economists who specialize in taxes tell us corporations don't pay taxes. There's no really such thing as a corporation. It's sort of a a rule or a network of people. So there's such a thing as corporate income taxes. Yes, but but it's paid for by shareholders, workers in the corporation, and customers of the corporation. All the burden of that tax falls on them. Not some abstract thing. So they're going to say, oh, nobody over such and such income is getting a tax tax hike. No. If you're a consumer of a product from a corporation, if you work for a corporation, if you own shares in a corporation, if your pension fund owns shares in a corporation, this is all going to be affected by what they're doing. And last point I wanted to make in, in conjunction with this topic we're on now is that another column recent column by John Goodman whose column you put up on the screen there he pointed out that there's a number of changes to the medical system that uh, are coming up in this democratic spending bill reconciliation bill and each of them go you know pours good money after a program that is not working right that is not helping people who need uh, medical care, uh, it's actually doubling down on failed programs. So it's not just, oh, you know, this is a pot of money. It's a pot of money that's doing destructive things.
1: Also, uh, John and Linda Gorman uh, are authors of a new briefing on our website on that very subject, Bill, I might. Uh, where they go into further, a lot more detail about this issue about how this is going to be a serious blow to quality and availability of health care and the costs and so forth
0: yeah and in fact um i would encourage people uh, you know you can go to independent.org and find these things are referring to here's the one david just mentioned by john goodman and linda gorman very much worth reading and um it's at your fingertips independent.org uh, now david Uh, Let me just ask a very basic question that I know you can answer. Maybe Bill can amplify. Um, The way these things are put to us with regard to the infrastructure spending and the taxation and the money creation and so forth, it, it often comes down to a very simple thought. If you care about helping people who are hurting, then why would you object to the creation of money even to an indefinite degree? I mean, don't you care about people?
1: Well, that's that's their belief in part. They also have... That's their rhetoric. That's their rhetoric. But they, they believe it in some respects, I think. Yeah. And, yeah. and they have uh, the so-called modern monetary theory to paper over the view that it doesn't matter how much debt and spending... Very, and, and very
2: good phrase, paper over. Right, <laughs> yeah, Paper <exactly>. over.
1: <laughs> so, it, it, you know, if you take something like Nancy Pelosi and Sherman and these others, they know what they're doing but they actually believe that uh, free markets exploit workers and destroy the environment and do all sorts of other things. And so they believe that they're, they're excused uh, and that th- this is what they have to do. But at the same time, they also know what the consequences are. Uh, in other words, they, they wanna have the cake and eat it too. Uh, and when you point out to them the fact that their wish can't be achieved Right. They will just move on. They won't listen to you. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the sort of this, uh, religious nature of the sort of secular religious nature of what we're talking about. Uh, but literally, uh, and I think this is the real big fear uh, to keep in mind, is that if they can pass a $3.5 trillion or $5 trillion or $10 trillion, why not $50 trillion? Mm-hmm. why not 100 trillion why not why have any limit whatsoever right because it doesn't because money is whatever you think it, it it could be and how many countries have gone down this road they've gone down to disaster this was a major factor in the rise of nazism that's right and inflation uh, hyperinflation right. hyperinflation and the central bank in the case was paying fall, off fall of a uh, chinese nationalists too hyper-inflation. absolutely hyperinflation there and they're, it, even during the american revolution the the continental congress inflated the currency the term not worth a continental was mm. because the congress had inflated the currency to a point where it's not worth anything more than the papers printed on so this is not a new phenomenon but uh different academics have given excuse now to to pursue this and it's simply unfounded. Uh, it's like the views about global warming. You know, you get to a point where I don't care about the facts. I like the theory because it's useful and it gives me meaning. Uh, it's like the the push to vaccinate children today. Mm-hmm. Even though the evidence shows that children do not get it, do not pass Extraordinarily, it. Lo- extraordinarily low risk. Yeah, as Scott Atlas said the probability of a child getting it is zero. It's not to say that there are no children who get it, there are, but the probability is zero. But the push still is being made and it's, it's being pushed on many fronts to have a vaccine that would be mandated for all children to have through the schools. And so you have to contend with uh, a cultural phenomenon and this is one of the one of the reasons why what bill said about angelo cotavia was so is so right about his understanding political theory and the cultural aspects and the philosophical aspects and so on and so forth Um, in the modern world modernism has claimed that there's no objective truth there's no objective good and evil and so you just sort of play around Um, so I, I think that the the push uh, for this gigantic spending binge is very, very dangerous and needs to be stopped. And more and more people are coming to understand that. The question is, well, it will be sufficient in time.
0: That's right. I mean, in fact, in, in a nutshell, maybe, there's nothing compassionate about debasing the currency right. and driving millions of people, especially at the margins, into poverty and uh, and want. How is that compassionate?
1: Right. I mean, money is a measure of value, is a store of value, and a, it's a way to measure transactions. If you can't compare the value uh, subjectively in decision-making of buying tomatoes at this store or potatoes at another store or going for a hike or whatever right. you want to say. Mm-hmm. There's no way to make sense of comparative actions.
0: But as you said, the progressives who advocate these kind of things, they may hear this and realize that you can't endlessly debase the currency without consequences, but they shrug and go on as if you could. It's the same thing with the thing you mentioned about the children being uh, kept home from school or being masked or whatever. Yeah, well, they shrug and go on anyway. And the same thing with climate change. Um, Yeah, not so compelling, the evidence maybe, and not clear that human effort can meaningfully change it, but you shrug and go on and advocate it anyway because it provides meaning in people's lives. Right. There's this illusory allure of meaning And it goes back to what Hillary Clinton very presciently talked about years ago. She called it the politics of meaning. She Uh, said it favorably. But in fact, it was very, very revealing. People find meaning through the advocacy of these political so-called solutions. And facts don't matter when it's about the meaning of
1: your life. But most people don't believe this. Right. And that's why there is this getting back to Angela Cotevilla. There is this rising percentage of people in the United States and other countries who don't buy the progressive narrative. And they're looking for a way to overturn it or at least not have to be subject to it. And so, that's the, that's the tension, that's the dynamic that we have. And it also explains why progressives are trying to ram everything through because they know this is a growing sense. As Bill said, Hispanics are increasingly turning away from it. They want school choice.
0: So, before it's too late, ram so it through?
1: Yes. Mm-hmm. That's right.
0: Very interesting. Um, we're getting near the end of our of our hour here, but there's probably a few more things we might like to talk about. Um, when you talked about these matters about time running out, we probably owe it to our friends to talk a little bit about the recall election, which we discussed at length two weeks ago before it occurred, and now, of course, it's occurred. Uh, and Gavin Newsom is obviously staying in place. There were some interesting signs that the support from uh latino californians was much weaker than you know would have been thought to be all of that's a little ominous perhaps uh for those who uh supported gavin newsom's agenda uh i, I did notice that the babylon Bee, trenchant as ever in its reporting uh, commented that a governor newsom was going to institute a new lockdown across california just to make sure that the french laundry would be available for his victory dinner i'm not sure whether that was true or not but that's what the babylon b said must be true. (laughs) Uh, What's the meaning of his uh, apparently very strong uh, success?
1: I would suggest that, uh, as you may remember or know, the race had tightened to virtually a draw. And about that time, the Democrats launched, or just before that, as it was getting closer, they launched a new campaign against Larry Elder. In other words... The reason for the recall was to recall Gavin Newsom. That was the point. Larry Elder wasn't even part of the discussion at that point, or any of the other candidates. But the the Democrats very intelligently realized that Newsom would be recalled if it was about his measures and his track record. So they they changed the discussion, and the media picked up on it. So Larry Elder became the issue. So Larry Elder became white supremacy and blackface. He became all these different derogatory terms, which are totally preposterous and racist. I,
2: I personally have followed Larry Elder for many, many years. Yeah. He's been a public figure in California for, and, and nationally for many years. Yeah. And it's he's a, a very informed, intelligent commentator on public issues and it's it's preposterous to call him a white supremacist yeah. it's just reaching it shows that there the ludicrous has become the norm in in the the palaver of politics Well, especially well there's, not, in there's the nothing media. about
1: there's nothing about nuisance policies that have been successful yeah he
2: wouldn't he wouldn't talk about
1: his policies no. during the, the... and the, the media the would politics. not except for this one press conference in the sacramento b where where he lost his cool yeah. the media would not you ask <laughs> him and the los angeles times you know had this editorial board meeting with elder and afterward did that re- really preposterous and outrageous and disgraceful editorial, calling him uh, all these derogatory yeah. terms. So, yeah. uh, the media followed suit. Um, again, getting back to Angela Cotavia's point about the ruling, ruling class and the country class. and uh, But the trend does show it's going against progressives. But I think that's... And so, it, you know, I'm a big admirer of Larry Elder. I've known him for years, we've had him speak here. You can find a talk he gave on our YouTube channel, if you so choose. Um, And uh, he would have made a great governor and he would address the housing problem and the wildfires problem and the school problem and all these other issues in a very deliberate and educated and honest way, instead of just catering interest groups, which is basically what Newsom is. Newsom now is free to pursue his real agenda, which is the run for president. And uh, all the different...
2: Well, cer- certainly in education, yeah. we're going to get the things that they postponed. So we're going to get the signing of the ethnic studies being a requirement, and we're going to get the new math framework. So things that he thought might you know, discomfort some part of the electorate that they've put off. Uh, are gonna be in the news so.
1: Right, so again, what you, if you interpret it in, ter- in terms of, did the public like Newsom's policies? The answer is no. The polls show that. They don't like what's been happening. So they, switch, they changed the conversation that Larry Elder was a threat for these different other reasons. And so it's an admission that progressivism is not one of the people. And so I my hat, I can't really thank Larry Elder enough for his courage and determination and stamina and uh, persistence. Uh, and I hope he uh, stays in the race. Now, of course, we're future races. I think that it's it's noteworthy also that Newsom is up for reelection in almost a in a little over a year. And I think uh, Larry Elder actually laid the groundwork in many respects for a campaign uh, and and if, if I think if 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 the Republicans or others interpret the situation properly, they will know what to expect better and be able to deal with it better. It uh, will become old news yeah
2: mm-hmm. the, the media doesn't like to re-report things that it reported before.
0: Mm-hmm. So because it loses its, its cachet if they've already uh, said it. And
2: it's not, it's not news that's in the right. sense of something new. So therefore, e- either they will neglect this topic or the opponents will have to... And, and if Larry Elder runs again, they'll have to come up with new th- charges against him. Of course, that goes for the other side too. Yeah. You can only run the French laundry so many times. That's right,
1: exactly. I think think we need to
2: bring this to a close.
1: The one thing I I think about the Newsom situation is that uh, Newsom, I think there's going to be voter uh, regret because uh, Newsom's going to start pushing through these other things. And he has this false sense that he has a mandate for them, which is not the case at all. And uh, I think the polls would continue to slide away from him again in a Cotevillian way. So No, I'd, uh,
0: like to, I'd like to let our late senior fellow, Angelo Cotevilla, maybe have the last word here. I've got a, a little quotation from one of his essays. Here's what Angelo Cotevilla said. The distinctions between Republicans and Democrats, liberals and conservatives are being overshadowed by that between what we might call the court party, made up of the well-connected, The people who feel represented by mainstream politicians who argue over how many trillions should be spent on reforming American society, who see themselves as potters of the great American clay and the country party. The many more who were tired of being treated as clay. So with a salute to those who were tired of being treated as clay. Let me thank David Thoreau. We thank Bill Evers and all those who joined us for today's edition of the Independent Outlook. Goodbye from the Independent Institute. Take care.